Romans 10, here we are, verses uh, 11 through 17 is we're going to be. Would you stand, please? And we're gonna, I'm going to read God's Word. You follow along, and then we will jump into this text. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Father, we thank you for the word, the word about Jesus, the word about the gospel, the word about salvation and grace and faith and all the incredible truths that have been revealed to us through the scriptures. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in us. We invite you to come today. We pray that the Spirit would encourage and affirm and teach and reveal truth to us today. Show us the glory of Christ. Send us on mission with the gospel. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what we'd like to do this morning, you can be seated. What we'd like to do this morning is we're going to outline this passage. Now, if you're here at Lincoln Avenue often, you know, we don't always do this. And so it's not like we always outline the passage and then we preach. We don't always do this. In fact, we hardly ever do this. But with, in this particular passage, it, it's useful, okay? Because I want you to see the progression of Paul's thought, all right? So I'm going to lay out the outline here. And then we're going to come back and we're going to dive into each point, okay? So we're going to start in verse 11. So verse 11 says, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay, so I'm going to start our outline here by saying no shame, okay? Now, we're going we're gonna to learn that, that that word shame can mean disappointment, okay? And, and obviously the application, the big application is judgment, no judgment, okay? So at the end, when uh, we all face God, those who are joined to Jesus Christ will not be put to shame in the sense that it will not have judgment, but it also has a bigger meaning than that as well. So but we're going to stop right there, okay? So everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Go ahead and read verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Okay, so who has no shame, no regret, no disappointment, no judgment for all eternity? Those who have God's riches bestowed on them, okay? God's riches poured on them. Okay, keep going here. Uh, Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How how, how do we get God's riches so that we live in eternity of no shame, no disappointment, no judgment? Well, it is only those who call on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? All right, so on the name of the Lord. So those who call on the name of the Lord receive the riches of Jesus Christ and live in eternity of no shame, no disappointment, and no judgment. All right, keep reading here. Verse 14, but how are they to call? See, no one's going to call on him in whom they have not believed. Okay, no one's going to call unless they first 
believes. All right, so we're all right, believe right here. Okay, so those who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and will receive the riches of Christ and will live in eternity of no shame, no disappointment, and no judgment. All right, so uh, keep reading. Verse 14. And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? Okay, so nobody's going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that they call and they receive his riches and have an eternity of no shame unless they first hear about him, right? They've got to hear the truths of the gospel. They've got to hear who he is, hear what he's done, hear what the gospel is, okay? And then it keep going here. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And then the end of verse 14, how are they to hear without someone preaching, okay? Nobody hears something unless somebody says something, all right? Are you following me, all right? So they're not going to hear unless someone says something, unless they, someone preaches, okay? And nobody's going to preach. Look at verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Okay, unless they, someone feels the commission, the act of obedience of sharing God's truth. All right, now, let's go through this. So if you're a believer here today, so if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your king, if you've been joined to him, guess what? You're in the story. Okay, if, you're, if you are a saved person today, then guess what happened? Well, somebody, maybe a grandmother, maybe a grandfather, maybe a parent, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a team kid, maybe a, maybe a preacher, maybe a college roommate, somebody felt called to share the truth with you. They were, they were sent, right? They felt, a sin, they, they felt a commission on their life. So they were sent, and they shared with you. They spoke God's truth about salvation to you, so they preached it. You heard it, and then the Holy Spirit opened your, opened your heart to believe it, and then you called upon the name of the Lord, and then you received the riches of his salvation, and so now you'll live in eternity of no shame, no disappointment, and no judgment, no regret forever and ever, okay? So everybody who's a Christian is in this. That's why I wanted to put it up there. I want you to see this is the process by which somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Someone sent, someone preaches, someone hears, someone believes, someone calls, they receive the riches, and then they live in eternity of no shame, disappointment, or judgment. Now, now that we've seen the outline, let's break it apart more specifically. Now, here's where I want to start. I want to start right here with riches. Now, I know I should start here, but it's going to make more sense if I start here and move up to here, okay? So let's start with riches. So here's what I, man, I got good news to tell you today. God is rich. Isn't that cool? God is rich, like rich beyond your imagination, okay? And he's the kind of God who freely shares his riches. He freely gives his riches, okay? Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let me, let me talk about some of the riches of God's, God's, what he has, okay? First of all, let me talk about full pardon. The Bible says God is rich in forgiveness. He is rich in mercy. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you're joined to Jesus Christ, then God pardons you fully. In other words, he wipes away your sins. He takes them away. You, you receive justification. Now, what does justification mean? It literally means that Jesus' righteousness is put in your account, right? So how much righteousness do you have on your own? Zero. In fact, you not only are have zero, you have a deficiency, right? You, you, have, you have less than, you've got a, you, your account is in the hole. You're in the red, right? You don't have any righteousness and you owe righteousness. How much righteousness does Jesus have? trillions, right? I mean, there, there is no end to his righteousness. Here's what happens in salvation. The Bible says that God is rich in mercy, rich in grace, and he transfers. He does a bank transfer his righteousness into your account, 
right? So that's part of God's riches of salvation that he bestows upon us. We have the riches of adoption. Romans 8, if you were here a couple months ago, we looked at adoption in which we are adopted into the family of God. If you're adopted in the family of God, it's the full deal. You're not just a pretend son. You're a real son. You're a real daughter. So much so that you have an inheritance. You're an heir. Whatever Jesus inherits, you inherit. So we are adopted in the family of God. We are given the promises of resurrection and new heavens and a new earth. We're given the promise of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to while we live on this earth, to comfort us and strengthen us and encourage us and lead us into truth and convict us of sin. And every day, here's what happens in the believer. Every day, he is transforming, working on us, making us more and more like his son. We have all the future promises of God that upon age upon age, Ephesians 2, 7, here's a great verse. He says in Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, in the billions and billions of years to come for a believer, God's purpose is to set us in Christ so that he can lavish his riches in kindness and goodness upon us. Okay, so are you, are you following what, what Paul is saying here is that God is a God who bestows his riches upon sinners, right? God is rich. He's, you know what I wrote in my notes? I wrote, he is full to the brim. That is wrong, okay? I, I, I should, I, I, I'm not gonna say that. I just did, but I'm telling you, I'm not saying it. I'm not gonna say it because it's not right. It's not right. If you have a 32 ounce cup, how much pop can you get in there? 32 ounces, right? And that's it. Right? There's a limit. Okay, there is no limit with God. Here's the cool thing about God. God is eternally overflowing with every good thing. That's what it means when he's rich. It's not just talking about currency. It's talking about all of his character. So how much creativity does God have? It's, it's never ending, is it? God never sets down at the canvas and says, what should I do? I'm not sure, you know? Uh, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do here. God never does that. He is, he is endlessly creative. How much power does God have? It surpasses knowledge. You never get to the end of God's power. There's nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing that's impossible. God never meets something that is too big for him, that is beyond his strength. It is endless. How much love does God have? We never get to the end of it. Ephesians 3 tells us that his love surpasses our knowledge. We will live in heaven for billions of years and never get to the end of God's love. There will always be more of him, more of his goodness that is lavished upon us. How much, how much does he have a capacity to satisfy our soul? It's endless. I ask myself, how much delight does God have? Now, we went to Sonic last night. half price milkshakes after 8 o'clock, okay? So we pull up there. It takes us 20 minutes to order all those shakes and get them. And, and we go home, and we're sitting in our driveway on our lawn chairs, and, and we're, we're eating our shakes. And let me tell you, the first half of that milkshake was sheer delight, okay? I got the Reese's. And, man, I'm just, I'm loving it. It's satisfying my soul. It's making the whole world look better to me, all right? Second half was, was still good, but not as great. But, but after I'm all the way done with the shake, do you ever get anybody, I don't know, maybe you're not like this, but if I eat too much sugar, I get kind of a, you know, feeling. you ever get that? You know, you just kind of, if you get a little, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sick, but just, it's not, it's not a satisfying feeling. So here's the reality. Had I ordered 10 milkshakes, okay, and drank them all, there would be no delight, all right? I'm, I'm sorry, Peg, but there's an end to the delight that you can get from a sonic milkshake, right? There, there's a capacity, it maxes out, okay? At 10, you're puking, all right? You're on the floor, you're nauseous, right? You, you have a headache, okay? It, it's no more delight, no more delight. 
What kind of capacity does God have to delight your soul? In Psalm 36, 8, this is a cool verse. This is a cool verse. It talks about feasting on the abundance of God's house. And then look, look at it there. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. You know what I really like about that image? The river of your delights. All right, so think about crossing the Mississippi. Many of you have crossed the Mississippi River. It's a wide river, right? And it's, it's all flowing, right? I mean, you, you don't have the same water, you know, going around like a pool. No, no, no. I mean, it, it goes, and it's gone, and there's more coming. There's more, more, more. I mean, it's an endless supply of water flowing through there. Okay, God is saying, that's what my delights are like. Now, God's delights are not like the Mississippi because you don't want to drink that. There's no delight in that. But, it, but the, the, the picture there is the river, right? The river, this endless supply of delights that we, we scoop into for all eternity. And we, we're missing all so much going by. And, and it's just forever endlessly delight. God is rich in salvation. And he bestows his riches on those who call on him. Okay, so... That's what that is. Now let's jump up and and cover the next one, all right? So verse 11 says, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now the reason I want to do riches first is because, all right, so if you have God's riches, here's the next thing he says is, there will never be any shame, disappointment, or judgment for you. Now, Now obviously, no shame has the connotation of at the judgment day, you will not, you will not sink to your knees in shame. Why? Is it because you've really done a great job and you've knocked it out of the park and you're a Sunday school teacher and you go to church? That's not it at all. The only reason you will not be ashamed at the judgment day is because you have Jesus Christ's righteousness in you. That is the only reason. That's the only, that's the only way to avoid condemnation at the day of judgment is because of Christ's righteousness in us. So obviously it's saying whoever, whoever believes upon him, there's, there's no shame. Okay, but that word shame is beyond, goes beyond that. That's, that's too limited of a, of a definition. It means to be dishonored, disgraced, disappointed, humiliated. Okay, and so, so what, where I want to go is putting your faith in Jesus is a no regret item. You know what I mean by that? Have you ever done something that was, you later regretted? You did something, you invest, have you ever bought, any of you ever bought one of those infomercial deals, you know, and it was going to, it was offering you, you know, a six pack of abs and, and you did it for three weeks and you just had one big ab, you know, that was it. Yeah, that ever happened? Or maybe you, you invest in something, didn't work out, you know, and, and, and so you have this, ah, this regret, this shame, this disappointment. Okay, so what he's saying here. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I had lunch with a guy this week, a young couple, and they're in the middle of having their family. And, you know, when you're in the middle of having your family, you got little kids, you know, there's always this, ah, you know, we're in the, you know, this is so stressful, and, you know, somebody's always sick, and somebody always has an ear infection. And, and what I tried to encourage him with was this. I said, listen, here's my experience. Having kids is a no-regret item, Okay. Now, I am not at all saying it won't be hard, sometimes brutal, you know, sometimes agonizing. But in 150 funerals at Lincoln Avenue, I've never had a family say, I've never had, I've never sat with somebody in a hospital and they said, boy, we shouldn't have had that middle kid, you know, he's real turd, you know, we should have just skipped him. I said, I've never had that happen. You know, even, even, even people who've gone through traumatic loss, you know, and lost a child. Man, I, there's probably nothing more 
hurtful and hard in life than that. But even then, I've not had people tell me, you know, I wish we just never had them, never had her. No. You know, I was trying to, I was trying to show him that there are, there are a few things in life that are no regret items, even, 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 even when they go badly. Jesus is the ultimate no regret item. All right, that, that's what that's saying. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You will never, ever, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and have his riches bestowed on him, on you, you will not for all eternity, you'll, no, there will be nobody in heaven that's like, oh, this is what it is? I should have gone to hell, you know? I, sh- I should have disobeyed. I, I should have not believed. There won't be anybody that way. That, that, that's what he's saying. He's saying God's riches bring people into a place where they'll have no regret, no shame, no judgment, no disappointment for all eternity. Okay. Now, nobody has the riches of Christ that leads to no shame, no disappointment, no judgment, who does not call on the name of the Lord. All right, so let's go down a tier. So nobody's going to get the riches that lead to no shame, no disappointment, no judgment, who does not call on the name of the Lord. Now, that's in several of our verses. Notice verse 12. It says, The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a big danger right at this point in the sermon that you will be mistaken about what I'm saying. What I am not saying is that calling on the name of Jesus is the work that accomplishes your salvation, okay? I'm not saying that. It's not true, okay? There is no magical incantation. There is no prayer that automatically saves people. Calling on the Lord, and we'll talk about this more thoroughly in a minute, is a result of believing. It's an overflow of believing. It is the response of faith. Does that make sense? If that that were not true, if calling on Jesus were the work of salvation, we would completely change what we do. We, we would no longer have a missions program. We wouldn't have Team Kid. We wouldn't have youth ministry. We wouldn't do any of that. You know what we would do? We would get really good at barbecue, okay? We'd get really good at barbecue, all right? I mean, like, we would, we would hone our skills at good barbecue. We'd raise money, and, and a couple times a year, we'd have a good band come in, and we would invite people to Crystal Beach to fill the stadium. We would serve them barbecue. Here, here's the cool thing. We would give them, it'd be $10 a plate, we'd give them the $10 to come, right? Like you come in and we're like, here's your 10, come sit down and we'd feed them barbecue and we'd have our our guys up jamming out, you know, good concert. And then toward the middle of that, we would stop and we would say, okay, we've paid you to come. We fed you a good meal. We got you good music. All we need you to do, everybody look at the screen. We'd have a screen set up. We need you to repeat the following phrase, you know? I, state your name, Call on the Lord Jesus Christ as my King and Savior. And we just get everybody to repeat that and they'd be saved. That doesn't work, does it? I know that's kind of a silly illustration, but there's actually churches that kind of function that way, especially with their kids sometimes. But here's what we know. This is not the work of salvation. This is the response of believing. Okay, and so so again, we're going to dig into this more, but... When a person believes on Jesus Christ, guess what that does? It brings about a response in them, all right? This is no more clear than in James, all right? So in in the book of James, 
there's this neat passage about faith and works. And, and let me read it to you. James 2.14, What good is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And then go down to verse 17. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right, now, what is James saying? Is James saying, okay, you got to have faith. You got to have faith in Jesus, and you got to do these works to be saved. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying the kind of faith that does not result in works, the kind of faith that does not have a response, the kind of faith that does not overflow in a response to Christ, isn't the real deal. It isn't saving faith. Let me give you a great example of this. Noah, okay? So, what happened with Noah? Let's go through our chart here, okay? Noah had someone preach to him. Who do you have, who do you have preach to him? God, how would you like that if God is your missionary, right? So God appears to Noah, and he shares truth with him. What truth does he share? He says, Noah, all the world is condemned in sin. My wrath is going to come down in judgment. The only means to be saved is if you and your family will build an ark to these specifications, get in, and I'll close the door, and I'll save you. Okay, that's the message. So God preaches to him. Noah hears it. And then let's just say Noah says, I believe, okay? I believe. He's like, hey, I believe. That night at supper, they're having turnips, you know? And he says, guys, listen, I heard from God today. God said that he's going to judge the world. There's going to be a worldwide flood. The only means of salvation is to build an ark, according to these specifications, for us to get in it. God will close the door, and he'll save us. Pass the turnips, you know? And and then they pass the turnips. and, And the next day, Mrs. Noah has been asking for a deck on the back porch forever. Noah starts work. He gets his tools. He starts building a deck on the back porch. You know, she likes hummingbirds. She's in a hummingbird feeder, so he does that. And after that, he, he decides to break out another 40 acres in vineyard, you know, and, and, and he gets to going on his, on his projects. And the kids are growing up at this point. They're in rock ball, not T-ball, rock ball back then, you know. And, and they're in rock ball. And so they really, one of them's on a traveling team. They spend a ton of time traveling all over, you know, playing rock ball and and, you know, he, he end up, a couple of them go to university. They come home every once in a while for, you know. And whenever they come home, dude, as they're eating, Noah's like, hey, guys, you remember when God spoke to me? He told me he's going to judge the world. He's going to send a worldwide flood. And the only means of salvation is to build an ark according to these specifications, you know. And, and, that, and get in it. He'll close the door. And that's the only means to be saved. Pass the turnips, you know. And he just, and the flood comes. And there's no ark. What happens? Noah's, Noah dies, and none of us are alive because he's it, you know? What would we say if that's what happened? Here's what I would say. He didn't really believe, right? You're like, yeah, but he, he's, no, no, no. He said he believed, right? He, he, he said, I, you know, here's what he, he kept telling us. He would tell us every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, you know, he'd tell us, hey, hey, guys, remember what God said? But here's what I would tell you. If faith does not, it's what James is saying. If faith does not result in a response, it's not saving faith. That's what James says. Okay, so when, when we read in the Bible that whosoever shall call upon the Lord will be saved, will have the riches of God, will have no shame, no disappointment, no judgment forever, we're understanding that, right? That that calling on him is a overflow of belief. Okay, now, 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 why call on the Lord? Well, listen, if I'm empty, sinful, broken, confused, unhappy, stressed, and angry, what am I going to do? I'm calling on the one who can help me. 
Now, if I believe that that's Jesus, who, what am I going to do? I'm going to call on Jesus, right? If, I'm not going to call on money or success or self-exaltation or the affirmation of others or sex or food or whatever. The man or woman who is saved are those who go to Christ. Now, now let's, let's keep working on this, okay? Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, why does it say the name of the Lord? Is that just a needless detail? Absolutely not. That's an important detail. The name of God in the Bible is significant. In the Old Testament, what's the name of God? Well, his personal name is Yahweh, okay? But, but how many other names do you read about God? A bunch, right? The Lord our provider, Jehovah Nisi, Lord our healer, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, right? Over and over, Lord Almighty, God Almighty, right? All, how many names are there for Jesus? Good shepherd, the light of the world. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the vine, you're the branch, right? I mean, over and over, we have these names for God in the Bible. And what do they do? They tell us about his character. Okay, so when a person calls on the name of the Lord, they're calling on the character of God. They're, they're calling on who he is, his, his glorious nature. They're saying, Lord, I believe, I believe that you are majestic and mighty and merciful and satisfying and sufficient and saving your truth, your life, your wisdom, and I am calling on you. Okay, that, that makes sense? The sinner says, I'm broken, I'm weak, I'm guilty, but I know, I believe Jesus is strong and he's everything I need, so I'm calling on him. I'm seeking him. I'm coming to him. It, it's an expression of worship, of, of what we think about him. If you look in your Old Testament, calling on the Lord, all through the Psalms is associated with worship. When Abraham builds an altar, it says he called on the Lord, it's, it's associated with worship. Let, let, let me give you a verse here. Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. Listen, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And then interesting, you shall glorify me. You see, when, when we call in the name of the Lord, it honors him. Why? All right, so let's say I'm up here and I got to move this speaker and I get under it. I grunt, you know, and cry out i tried two or three times ah! i can't do it i can't i get up i look out and i'm like bonnie can you move the speaker now what what would you guys immediately think you think she must be really strong right like i, I would i would have honored her if, I, if i'm up here doing a problem and i can't figure it out but emma right that's what i would do I, emma right she's really smart figure this out. When you call in the name of the Lord, what are you saying? You're what I need. You're everything I need. You're fully sufficient for all my needs. I'm coming to you. I've got confidence in you. I'm calling. That's why the Christian who doesn't pray, that's a little iffy. What are you saying? What are you saying when you, I don't, I don't, I don't ever ask for anything myself. What? You've got a God who is endlessly rich in every great thing, who, who there's no end to his power and glory. And you're a broken sinner and you don't call on him? What do you believe? It's not the same thing I believe, I don't think. Now, one more detail. We're lingering here because it's important. When you call on Jesus, you call on him in a specific way. Look at verse 9. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. How, how do we call on Jesus? We call on Jesus as Lord. You know what the word Lord means? It means king, boss, ruler, master, something to that effect. Listen, if you're not calling on Jesus as Lord, you're not really calling on him. If you're, if you're calling on Jesus as your Hail Mary, you know, it's like, hey, I've tried everything else. I might as well give this a try. I don't know who you're talking to. Okay, when, if you're calling on Jesus as, as the consultant, you know, you kind of know pretty much what you're going to do, but you kind of like another opinion. I don't know who you're calling on. Because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is Lord. See, I, I, it, it, I'm, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced there will be a large population of people in hell who in some way believed facts about Jesus and called on Jesus, but they were not calling on the Jesus of the Bible. They were calling on their puppet Jesus. A lot of people, here's what they'll do. They'll get a sock, and they don't really do this, but metaphorically they do. They get a sock, and they, they, they get their hand up in there, and that's their Jesus, you know? And their Jesus, interestingly enough, affirms everything that they do, you know? Like, they're always right, you know? Like, like man, I'm so mad at that person, I'm going to hold a grudge forever. You know what their Jesus says? You deserve to, you know? I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, I call on you. That's, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That, that's a made-up Jesus. Now, I have people all the time tell me, I love Jesus. I, I bet I have this, ah, it's not once a week. I said once a week in the last, it's not once a week, but it's, it's once a month. I have people tell me, I love Jesus, I'm on Jesus, I don't have any use for the church. Okay, are you calling on Jesus as Lord in that instance? Okay, remember, calling on Jesus as Lord is, you are king. You're right. You're right about everything. You're the ruler. You're the master. Okay, so what did Jesus say about the church? Well, he said it was his bride. How can you have no use for his bride? Again, the only way that works is puppet Jesus, you know? It's okay. I don't really like the church. You do whatever you want, you know? Call on that guy. It's it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus who is God eternal, who stepped out of the heavens and became man and taught like no one's ever taught before and healed the sick and raised the dead and died on the cross and, and is the only way to life. So, if we call on Jesus, on the name of the Lord, we receive the riches of salvation and no shame, disappointment, and judgment. But here's what Paul's gonna say. Nobody's going to do that unless they believe. Okay, look at verse 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? All right, so in order for anybody to rightly call upon the Lord, they have to believe in who he is. They have to believe in his character. They have to believe in his name. They have to believe that he's Lord. Okay, you can't, you can't call on him unless you believe. Now, what does that word believe mean? First of all, it's not just mental assent. Okay? Now, it is mental assent. It is believing facts about Jesus, but it's not, it doesn't stop there. Okay? So let's talk about that for just a second. So um, it is important for you to know who Jesus is. 
okay, for the reason we just talked about, so that you don't create a puppet Jesus, a false Jesus, okay? So you need to know who, who the eternal God is. You need to know that God is, 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 God is one, God is three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and one God, that Jesus became man, 100% God, 100% man, that he lived a sinless life, that he was fully pleasing to the Father, that he displayed the character and glory of God in his teaching and preaching and healing and acts of mercy and raising the dead, that he died an undeserved death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and rose again on the third day. You need to know who Jesus is, but you must do more than believe facts about him. We went to Mount Rushmore. I learned facts about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt and who's the other guy? Thomas Jefferson. I do not trust nor depend upon any of those men in my daily life. I'm not nothing against them, but my faith is not in them. Like, like when things go badly, I do not say, George, George, Abe. You know, when I, when I, when I realize I've sinned, and then I am guilty before a holy God, I do not cry out to Teddy. So don't make the mistake of believing facts about Jesus and thinking that's all there is to faith. So faith does include knowing who Jesus is and embracing his character, embracing who he is, but then it moves on to dependence and trust in him. My favorite passage for this is Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, there's a centurion, a Roman soldier, and he's got a sick, paralyzed servant, okay? And he comes to Jesus, and he tells Jesus about his servant, and, and Jesus says, all right, let's go. Let's go to your house. I'll heal him. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. It's okay. I, I am undeserving for you to travel all the way to my house. You don't need to do that. Just say the word. Just say the word, and I know he's healed. I know the authority you have, and if you'll just say the word, He'll be healed. You know what Jesus says to that? Matthew 8, 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. He marveled. And he said to those who followed, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. You you see, an element of faith is dependence, trust. All right, so what does that mean for us? Well, that means for us when, when I open up his word, you know what I say? I, you said it, I believe it, right? God, you said you're in control. You said you'd take care of me. You said, okay, Lord, I'm resting in that. Lord, my anxiety level went from here to here simply because you told me you'd take care of me. God, I know I'm a sinner. I've just messed up. But you know what? You, in your word, you said that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And if I put my faith in you, I'll be forgiven. God, I rest in that. God, you told me that I should do this, do that. Do, God, I, okay. Oh, not, not, not okay as in, oh, man, why do I, you know? No, okay in the sense of you, you're right. Whenever, whenever my will contradicts yours, I trust you're right. And so, so faith is mentally believing in who Christ is, the facts about Jesus. It is depending and trusting on him. And then finally, it's also Loving and delighting him, in him. Now, now how is that faith? Well, Hebrews eleven six says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God. This tells us about faith. Must believe that he exists. That's that kind of mental ascent. And that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, now the way I translate he rewards those who seek him is simply this. He's worth it. He's worth it. 
And so in other words, when, when Jesus speaks and tells me about forgiveness, I'm like, yes. And not only, not just yes in the sense of I believe, but yes, I rejoice in it. When, when he tells me he's put his Holy Spirit in me to change me, I'm not like, ah, oh, I don't want to change. No, I'm like, yes, I believe and I receive and I'm excited. That's why, that's why when, when we put our faith in him, the Bible says that we come to love him. Okay, quickly, quickly. If you believe, you're gonna call. If you call, you get the riches. If you get the riches, you'll have no shame, no disappointment, no regret, no judgment for all eternity. But nobody will believe unless they hear. You know what we get to do as pastors? It's a fun part of our job. Uh, Pastor Gary gets to do this all the time. I get to do it some. Um, We have people come in for assistance and they get to fill out a questionnaire. Most of the questionnaire is not very exciting, but there's one question that makes my day every time. Who is Jesus? Okay? So I get to ask a whole bunch of people, who's Jesus? Who is he? Who do you think he is? Now, understand this. We live in the buckle of the Bible belt, do we not? I mean, we live in a town of thirteen or 14,000 that has 30 or 40 churches, right? I mean, I mean, the gospel goes forth all over our town. But would you believe that I get a lot of different answers to that question, who's Jesus? Now, Go ahead and take that over into Barachalam, India, or North Africa, or Japan, where there are hundreds of thousands of people with no churches. Guess what? There's a lot of people who don't know who Jesus is. They've not heard the gospel. They don't know his character. They don't know what he's done. They don't know what he's promised. Okay? And and, and you know what verse 17 told us here? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Man, that, that verse ought to be of great encouragement to you today. Because I don't know about you, but I raise my hand when when the question is asked, do you want your children to know Jesus as their king? Yes, I do. Do I want my grandchildren? Yes, I do. Okay, what can I do about that? I can't make them believe, but you know what I can do? I can share truth with them. And what's verse 17 say? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, there's something about the Bible. There's something about the truths of Jesus, that when it is told, it stirs up and awakens faith in people. All right? So nobody's going to get an eternity of no shame, no disappointment, and judgment unless they have the riches of Jesus. And nobody's going to get the riches of Jesus unless they call. And nobody's going to call unless they believe. And nobody's going to believe unless they hear. And nobody's going to hear unless somebody tells them. You notice how I didn't say preach? You know, because if I say preach, you know what you're going to do, right? That's your job, buddy. Get out there and do it, right? That word preach just simply means to announce, to herald, to proclaim. And let's just go ahead and jump to the next one. Nobody's going to preach unless they're sent. Who's sent? Let me just skip right to it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Before Jesus' ascension into heaven, he sets his disciples down, his people his followers, and he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know where we are right now in comparison to Jerusalem? The ends of the earth. You know who's here? His people. You are to be his witnesses. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means you ought to have confidence in this book. You, you know what I do in the mornings with my, the guys I meet with? 
We did this the other day. We did this on, on Thursday. On Thursday, I think it was. We always make an application to the Bible. So whatever, whatever chapter we read, we say, okay, how can we obey this? And just so happened on Thursday, we had a really cool verse, John 5, 24, that talks about salvation. It's just a kind of a compact verse. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And so here, here's the application we made. Hey, guys, let's try to share this verse with somebody this week in conversation. That is really not that hard. Like, I know it seems maybe, like there's a time in my life where I'd have thought, oh, man, who, who am I, how am I going to do that, you know? Walk up, you know, would you like plastic or paper, sir? He who hears my word and, but, you know, is that the way we do that, you know? Actually, it, it comes up. I, I had it done by Friday. We got to figure out how to share God's truth. Share who he is. Brag on Jesus. You know why? Because there is power. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And so we know we're sent. And so we need to begin to speak God's truth so that people hear, so they'll believe, so they'll call, so they'll receive his riches, so they'll live for an eternity with no shame, no disappointment, no judgment. Now, real quick, real quick. Okay, when that happens, verse, verse uh, 15. And, and, and how, are they, how are they to preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What does that mean? Does that mean that every Christian who shares the gospel has really pretty feet? You know, they're the, they're the sandal type of people. That is not true. I could, man, I could tell you a story that would totally convince that, all right? I know a guy who's got the ugliest feet I've ever seen, and he is a great gospel sharer, all right? What that means is this. Beautiful feet in that context is someone who brings such good news, everybody is glad they came, all right? Now, are you glad someone shared the gospel with you? If you're a believer here today and you've got the riches of Jesus, are you glad for that person who shared the gospel? Why wouldn't you want to be that person for somebody? Why, why wouldn't you want to be the person that forever somebody rejoices for all eternity that you brought them such news? You can't save anybody. You can't save your kids. You can't save your grandkids. But you can bring them good news. Hey, it's a cool deal to bring people good news. Like how, how, many, how many of you would want to have the news today? Hey, Oil field's firing back up. You know, everybody's hiring, right? I mean, how many would you, how cool would it be to give that news out, right? That'd be, I mean, you'd be telling it everywhere. You would be bold, right? You'd walk into McDonald's. Hey, Durango's hiring. Triad's hiring. You know, Vasco's hiring. J-Cam's hiring. I mean, you, you, would, you would say it. You'd be bold to strangers. Why? It's good news. This good news. This is better news, actually. Father, please help us. Please help us to believe in the power of the word of God, the power of the gospel. And Father, I pray that you'd make us proclaimers of the best news in all the world. And Father, I ask you to to bring about faith, to bring about a calling on the name of the Lord through the power of the gospel today. In Jesus' name.